Welcome everybody to Dinging Corners, a baseball podcast powered by Slab Stocks. I'm your host Nate, and today we have an interview. Uh, we interviewed Aaron Palmer, aka Florida Card Guy. Uh, he has a background in finance. We talked to him about that. We talked to him about baseball cards. Um, we talked to him about the current situation in the United States and where he sees cards going. So a very fun interview for me to do. Um, hope you enjoy listening to it. No other content than the interview today. We're going to be getting out more interviews lately uh, and going forward with uh, lack of sports going on. So hope you enjoy that. Hope you enjoy listening to Aaron talk about uh, uh, the card hobby with me and uh, talk to you again after the interview. All right. I am here with Aaron Palmer, a.k.a. Florida Card Guy. He is has been a supporter of Slab Stocks for a very long time and I reached out the other day uh, asking to be on a podcast. He loves baseball. He loves his St. Louis Cardinals, which, you know, uh, we can get into a little bit later. It's a bit of a problem. That's okay. Uh, we'll hash that out later on the podcast. But Aaron, um, if you could, would you introduce yourself to everyone? Just uh, give them a little bit on your card background and how you got started and, you know, anything of that ilk. Sure. Uh, thank you, Nate. I appreciate the opportunity to come on your podcast. I appreciate the opportunity at any time to talk about cards. Um, how I got started in uh, sports card collecting, in particular baseball card collecting. Um, I was in Texas, um, El Paso, Texas, of all places. My dad um, is a retired Army uh, Master Sergeant. Oh. And he was stationed, we were stationed um, in Fort Bliss, Texas. And in, I became a St. Louis Cardinal fan in 1985, watching Ozzie Smith, uh, who was my favorite um, baseball player. He still is my favorite all-time baseball player. And you I missed just, that. Uh, when I saw him do that backflip. Yeah. You missed that uh, 1982 World Series by uh, a few years there? I was only six then in 82, or really, let's see, I would have been, yeah, right at six years old. So um, I was not quite, um, uh, I'm sure I was watching it somewhere, but, yeah, but 85 when I was, when I was nine years old, um, yeah, against the Royals. And then that season. So I started watching baseball, started getting interested in the names, the professional. And I was like, man, I really like this Ozzy Smith guy. I like the Cardinals. I like, you know, a lot of the players that were playing Tony Peno as the catcher at the time. Willie McGee was there, all those guys there, kind of that eighties squad. And then in 1987, again, when I was in Texas, I was handed a stack of baseball cards. And there were 87 tops, and of course the wood grain tops, mm -hmm. which are classic. Which to date is because of that and other reasons is really my favorite all-time set. It's 87 is, tops. That's Barry Bonds' rookie year. Um, 87 was there was an 87 tops. Of course, the Donruss 87 is popular. Of course, he had the 86 traded. Um, you know, the 86 tops traded. Um, 86 the rookies, I believe. Um, but yes, 87 the wood grain along with Bo Jackson and a couple others there. The first card of note that I ever got was an 87 Kirby Puckett. Ooh. And if you know anything about that card, it's kind of his profile. It's kind of, a, kind of up close of his face. And then I learned about Kirby Puckett as I got that. And I thought, man, this guy is, he's a really good ball player. And he was short and pudgy and kind <laughs> of a, uh, you know, it's kind of a personality in the sport. He played for Minnesota, the Twins, of yep. course. And yep. 
fast forward through the 87 season, I started to buy cards. And I remember buying them at um, Walgreens for 35 cents a pack. And I just started collecting them. And I just loved, you know, you would read the back, you know, tops, of course, they had all of the seasons. And so you'd memorize the statistics. Yeah, back then um, you, you weren't learn about the players. Baseball reference. So yeah. no, absolutely not, of course. And um, yeah, and so, but lo and behold, what happened in 1987, fast forward to October, St. Louis and the Twins were in the World Series. And that's where it all kind of just kind of came to a head. Uh, you know, the Twins had Kent Herbeck and, you know, and we had Vince Coleman, if you remember, and Ozzie Smith and, and Tommy Lawless and a couple others. And uh, they had, you know, Jack Morris. Um, and so it was kind of a cool moment where some of those names on the baseball cards became alive to me. Uh, in particular, that Kirby Puckett, along with my team. Of course, we lost the series, so that was kind of heartbreaking. But um, so going forward from '87, that's really when I got my the wheels going. In late or early 1988, we moved to Germany. Oh, my dad was stationed yep. in Germany. Master which, Sergeant, so makes sense. Yeah. So if you could remember, kind of the '88 period, if anybody here is listening was alive, that's when. Um, of course, there was three card manufacturers. There was Tops, there was Donruss, and there was Fleer. And it was a really junk, totally junk wax era um, in that particular year, 88, 89. But the thing is, baseball was still pretty popular. And even over in Europe, on the, you know, the exchanges, I could get cards. And they were super cheap. I mean, you could get 88 Tops for, you know, 40 cents a pack, 50 cents a pack, whatever. So I was buying you know, junk wax by the, you know, by the, by the boxes. Um, really the, the seminal moment, I think, and really if you kind of go back into the different moments of card collecting, I think 1989 is probably one of those benchmark moments. Um, and that is for really one reason, that's because Upper Deck entered the market um, in 1989. In particular, um, of course, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. And, King Griffey Jr. was the craze. And all of a sudden, um, in 1989, these, you know, these cardboard cards from Tops and everything were almost getting left in the dust by Upper Deck, who had this, like, nice matte finish, who had the holograms on the back. Oh, and by the way, they had this really cool rookie card of this guy named King Griffey Jr., which, you know, fast forward, of course, we all know the history there. So, that was really a cool moment and kind of a pivotal moment where now it's like, well, now there's four manufacturers of cards. Um, and so that was really kind of a firestorm in the card community. Everybody collected baseball cards, at least where I was at. Um, there was a sports card show in Germany with probably a hundred tables um, once a yeah. month. And you got to keep in mind, like most of it was all like junk wax era, but you know, people brought in like, you know, vintage, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. But, I mean, people were trading, you know, um, you know, 89 Donruss Ken Griffey Juniors, I remember by the handfuls, um, 89 Fleer Ken Griffey Juniors, uh, and then the 90 products, the 90, 91 rolled around, it was kind of a, I think card manufacturers, card manufacturers were trying to really figure out their place in the hobby. Um, in particular, I remember in 1992, um, Donruss, um, it was just a crappy product all around, 1992 Donruss, the blue, kind of the light blue, I don't know if People know what I'm talking about, but they issued the Elite Series, which I think that was the first quote-unquote insert 
you know, that was not um, a base set uh, card, not base set, or not even like a, um, a, a you know a subset of an, of the base set. And those those um, those elite cards were tough. I mean, they were. I'd have to go back and look at the odds. We're talking like one in like twenty five thousand packs or something like that. Ooh. But beyond that, I mean, the the print runs were in the tens of millions. So to hit one of those guys was just, I mean, crazy. And I remember taking my friends and we went to a, a little uh, shop at there on the base and he bought some Donners. And I remember him getting the George Brett um, out of the Elite Series there in 92. And we went to the card show and I remember he was offered an astronomical price for it, like $500 or something like that. <laughs> so that to me was like the first time I was like, wow, this, you can actually get a baseball card that's worth that much money. And it was like, you know, even as a 13 year old or 14 year old trying to you get the wheels turning, like, how do I, how do I do that more often? And how do I, that seems like the real popular. So, and I won't take up the rest too much time with my whole history, but kind of fast forward to that corridor into 1994, 1994 was a strike in baseball. Yep. Um, in my opinion, that kind of like flattened things. Um, uh, of course, basketball was big then. Like this is during the Chicago Bulls run. Yep. The um, but really basketball cards were never really, they were second thought. Even uh, football. I mean, nobody really collected football cards in the 90s at all. Um, basketball a little bit. Everybody liked Michael Jordan, but it, it was not anything like as much as Ken Griffey Jr. or Frank Thomas, even like, by the way, 90 Leaf, that was a seminal product back in 1990. Um, just a crazy product. I remember people paying $40 for a Dave Justice 1990 Leaf. I mean, those were the kind of, just a different time frame that we were in. Well, so I kind of got out of collecting when I went to college. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it's interesting that a number of points you brought up uh, is a good reminder to the rest of collectors out here is that what you're buying today, you might think is going to be the hot product 20 years from now. And that's not necessarily true. You brought up Upper Deck, 89, super hot. Um, now you look at Upper Deck and uh, fault of their own in, in this sense, yeah. but uh, all they are are hockey and random other boxes where they can get Tiger Woods and LeBron James autos in there and Michael Jordan. Um, and you're talking about like, Donruss being one of the main companies, you know, nobody cares about it. it's Donruss optic, but yeah, when Donruss and Fleer went bankrupt, I mean, yeah. Donruss was acquired by Panini, Upper Deck lost all their licensing, yeah. Fleer yeah. went bankrupt. You talk about 1990 Leaf being a seminal product, and yet here we are, uh, you know, 20, what, 20, 30 years later, and Leaf yeah. is, you know, it's still around, but nobody cares about it. And so it's a good yeah, reminder. It's almost vilified. Yeah, with yeah, uh, with Brian Gray and whatever. But I will say they do get their redemptions out very quick. Uh, yeah. So absolutely. So I would agree that um, you really got to kind of take a step back sometimes and not get too caught up um, in the, uh, I guess, in the flavor of the month or anything like that. So um, yeah. But and anything can change, as we know. I mean, like tops. I mean who's to say tops is going to be around in 20 years and that's ludicrous to even verbalize or say but we don't know you never know we don't know the evolution of society the evolution of the markets 
MLB, you know, sports, professional yeah. sports, et cetera. So we don't know um, if sports yeah, so are going to come back. Yeah, right. Well, we'll talk about that. Um, so I was kind of dormant and I went to college. I was kind of dormant, really didn't do anything until really about 1999. Um, I started buying packs again, started, be, started to be interested again. And one thing in particular in 99 happened that kind of struck my fancy. And that was I opened up 99 Upper Deck. And I remember this like it was yesterday. And I pulled a game used jersey card of Pudge Rodriguez. And it was the first time I'd ever seen that. And I thought, I just couldn't put my mind around it. I was like, there's a piece of fabric from a, a real life baseball game that they put in there. I thought that has got to be the craziest thing I've ever seen. And Upper Deck was really on the, on the front end of that, you know, and it was just a plain white Jersey. I mean, nothing. I mean, just a plain relic. Yeah. And I mean, I held on to that thing and nobody thought, oh my God, that is, how did you get that? You know, and it was like one a case or something like that. And I ended up selling it for 150 bucks, if I recall. A plain white, not numbered. Uh, yes, true story. I held it for about a year, so probably into like 2000. That's and absurd. I think now it's, you know, I haven't looked in a while, but I think it, you could probably get one. Like 20 bucks, I think, was the last time I saw one on. But um, so that was another kind of marker there, and that kind of got me into it. I bought a lot of um, early 2000s, um, uh, Bowman, Bowman Chrome. Um, a lot of which I kept for a while, really didn't get any high end. Of course, eBay was just starting. I've been on eBay, by the way, since 1998. Oh, damn. Um, but I mean, it was a totally different landscape than it is now. I mean, it was just a kind of a, a wild frontier with no real rules. And, you know, you had to send checks in the mail, you know, wait for the checks to clear. Then Really? Oh, yeah. And when you first wild. started eBay, there was no online payment. You I mean, had to, that makes sense. But I just they had never, to send you, never and done. then they'd send you cash, you know, in the mail. It was, it was wild. And um, so just totally a weird evolution. That was just 20 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, and then into the 2000s, I, um, I just kind of collected a little bit light. Again, basketball was just not really a huge thing. Football was not really a huge thing. Baseball kind of was, um, it was still a thing, but it just, I think we were starving for like really like marketable players. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. kind of got injured here about 10 years into his career after just a really yeah. best 10 years of any baseball player of all time. Once he got to the yeah, Reds. Yeah, and I mean, and so we were looking kind of, yeah, I went to the Reds, you know, and then Alex Rodriguez went to the Texas, and then he turned back around, had a good, and that was really during the Yankees runs. The Yankees had, you know, Derek Jeter, all those great Yankees teams, but uh, maybe from a collectability standpoint, I'd argue that there just wasn't um, the fire to collect certain players. And by then, all of those things were happening. Like Upper Deck was, you know, they lost their MLB. You know, Fleer Donner's went bankrupt. I don't, I don't recall when Panini came into the marketplace um, for basketball and things like that. Of course, Topps lost their basketball, what, about six years ago? Yeah, there. Uh, I believe it was 2012 was Panini. Yeah, go. so I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it's 20. That was the first year of prison basketball. That's yeah, all. so pretty big uh, upheaval in the um, manufacturing of the cards marketplace. And so I kind of um, went a little dormant, and there is a regret there. I had at one point, uh, for personal reasons, I, I I moved most of my collection, and it wasn't anything too crazy and too um, dollar wise high, but um, I do remember remember passing on boxes and boxes of 2011 Bowman Chrome. Oh. And 
Yeah, and I can only imagine the person that probably shoved them in their closet. I probably had at least two cases worth of Bowman Chrome in there of 2011s. So whoever's out there has got all my Mike Trouts and stuff. Um, God bless you, but that was uh, that was this yeah. So in retrospect, there's another. In retrospect, had I you know just sat them and let them collect dust and not done anything, I would have had a pleasant surprise going through you know 10 years later or whatever. Yeah. Um, or less, you know, seven, eight years later. So takes it up and then really about 2015, 2016, I started to get kind of serious about, uh, you know, collecting um, what I wanted to collect. Um, and also that's kind of where I, you know, I'd been in the finance industry for, at that point, I started in 99 in banking. Um, I realized that if you're just intentional about what you do, you take your time, you put in your research, you watch trends, you watch the marketplace, you know, you educate yourself. You can, you can make conservatively without being too crazy, a, a dollar, $5, $10, $100, at whatever level you're comfortable with, you can make money on sports cards. Yeah. And so Please. I've done that for several years. Say that yeah. again for the people in the back. Uh, yeah, right. You it's know, not, um, we can get into my sports card philosophy, but it's not, you know, if it's, it's not a get rich quick. And I think that's probably a false advertisement that's out there, man, you see this card, like you see this Louis Robert go for $53,000. Oh my gosh. You know, that's yeah. just, it's, that's catching fire. That you, you know what they don't, the, the one issue I find is that, you know, there's people coming into the hobby and if they don't have the patience you know, if you're, if you're prospecting, right, you're Bowman Chrome prospecting, if you don't have the patience to watch that investment for six months, a year, two years, whatever it might be, you're going to lose money. Um, Aaron and I have had investments that went up in a week, you know, I put $83 into a Freddie Peralta card just because I wanted it. And then a week later, I sold it for 215 after he made his first major league start. And um, on the on the other end and of the spectrum, Peralta did. what? Now I said, and, and look, where's Freddie Peralta of the, the Brewers, right? Yeah, yeah, and look what he's done since, you know. Yeah. Wait, right back down, and then uh, on the other end of the spectrum, um, I mean, we held on to a Nate Pearson Red Wave auto for a year and like eight months until finally selling it, you know you never know when that that zone for selling is going to come um we hit on both of them right and there's endless examples of uh, zones in between that we hit on or missed on um but it's never the freddie peralta one week thing never happens it's it's more along the lines of you if you're if you're buying into cards and you're not waiting six months or you're not expecting your money back and if you're expecting it back in less than six months, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's not likely. Yes. Yet. Yeah, you can. Um, and that leads into kind of where we're at today. You know, um, of course, we can talk about the current state of affairs, but um, absolutely go on to what you're saying, you know, five months, six months longer. Um, where we're at today, today, I don't even know what today is, April 4th, I think. Yep. Um, it is not, it is not a flipper's market right now. You cannot buy a card and turn it in a week. Uh, it's, and that mentality, I think, was really, really pervasive here up until, you know, 30, maybe 45 days ago. It was such a blazing hot 
uh, sports card market higher than I've ever seen it in my life at any given moment where people were paying ridiculous, exorbitant, almost unnatural and artificial prices for cards just to make a quick buck. But that, that mentality, I don't know that it, people have come down from it all the way. And we are not in that, as you know, as most of us know, we're not in that right now. We are in a, in a, you better hold on. You better be methodical. You better think about what you're doing before you make a purchase or make a sale yep. and, and really put thought into what your life looks like with or without money, with or without cards for the next three months, six months, one year, et cetera. Yeah. Nobody knows how long this is going to last. It is definitely in my mind, if you don't need the money, it's, I would hope you're holding, right? If you really need the money, then sell. But if not, hold because you're just doing yourself a disservice. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, there's, if, if you've got extra funds, there are plenty of guys that have dropped by, if it's a hundred dollar card, you know, dropping to 65, uh, $400 card dropping to like 320, you know, guys like that, that easy, easy buys. If you've got the funds, the only cards that aren't really dropping is like, you know, Mike, Mike Trout tops update rookie PSA tens. They're still like 1600 bucks. I mean, they, they got up to like 1800, um, maybe touched 1900, but really that's not a huge drop considering how expensive the card was to begin with. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, it kind of leads into that. Um, you know, I've kind of given my thoughts over the course of the last couple of weeks as things have kind of unraveled here in the United States, um, mm -hmm. with the pandemic. And, um, I, I've kind of summarized it like this. I said, don't undersell your cards right now unless you absolutely have to don't panic sell don't undersell them you know just because you maybe have you're fearful that uh, basketball is not coming back this year and you got a Giannis that was selling for four hundred dollars you know two months ago and now it's only 200 and you're scared that it's only going to be a 50 dollar card three weeks from now it's like and you, you want to treat it like the stock market don't be super super careful not to undersell because everything is going to come back and we can talk about that. Yeah. And the flip side I'd say is, is be careful on overbuying too. I think it's a great, definitely a buyer's market right now. And I've done a good bit of buying just to kind of shelf some stuff. Um, generally speaking, right about this time of year is when I start buying football cards. It's the, mm -hmm. I don't do a lot of football. I kind of look at, got, keep my eyes on a couple of players. I'll, I'll mention one Lamar Jackson, for example, I think all things considered, if it was, back to normal right now would be still a good time to buy Lamar Jackson because I think he's poised for success in the fall. Um, I still think Lamar Jackson's a good buy today because out of all the major sports, I think football is the only one that's got a really kind of like, Hey, I think we're going to start on time. Yeah. Uh, MLB, of course, not starting on time. We don't know for sure about basketball. Um, so, um, but do I want to go out and buy, you know, 800, you know, Lamar Jackson cards and blow my whole bankroll and all my savings on Mark on Lamar Jackson. No, even if it's a good buy, I don't want to do that. And in my, I'm of the opinion, cause we don't know. Uh, we don't know if football is going to get played. We don't, I no. mean, we may, we hope and we may think, and, it, and, and maybe it's pointing towards that. And we don't know. Uh, we don't know what the athletes are going to be like after this strange, you know, you know, they're, they're in the same kind of uh, boat as we are in some regards. They can't um, go to gyms um, and facilities and work out. They, they don't go to their, their training facilities and things. And Speaking of that, 
I was just reading a thing today about how Giannis and Chris Milton and Eric Bloodsoe don't have uh, home gyms for shooting at their houses in Milwaukee. Um, right. So, uh, like, some guys, uh, I remember watching a thing back in the day where Trace McGrady had a home gym, whole basketball court connected to his house. He could shoot anytime. Guys like, you know, the best three players in the Bucks do not have that. So if the NBA season does come back and guys like LeBron can just go shoot every day, it doesn't matter. Uh, the Bucks' three best players can't. And now a huge right. disadvantage when the NBA season comes back and you haven't got shots up for two months, three months, you know, however long it takes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, and this is even thinking that whenever – I'm trying to think when NBA usually – when is NBA regular season? Does it start uh, November? Uh, usually end of, uh, end of October, early, early 20s, 21st, 22nd, somewhere like that. 23rd. Yeah, so, so I mean, it, whether or not they play uh, the rest of this year or any of the playoffs this year, or they just scuttle it all together. Um, you know, fingers crossed we've got an NBA season coming up. But, yeah, the, the, the landscape of that has completely changed. People – of all professions in particular athletes have just had to reposition their bodies and reposition their mind frames and going it's it's so I don't know how that looks what I do know is this I think there's going to be I don't know this I think there's going to be quite the bottleneck of sports um, um, come the fall uh, I think America in particular is going to be starved by not having sports so much and it's almost going to be this all you can eat um, all at once um, of what I want to eat. Do I just want to just gorge myself on baseball or just gorge myself on football or, you know, I'm trying to, and that may, that may permeate to the hobby too, where we don't really know for a little bit, you know, where's our money going? Where's our interest going as we try to reposition us to kind of like play catch up, you know, we've gone ugh, three, four five months without anything. And now all of a sudden it's there for us for our consumption. And, you know, what are what's our appetite going to be like? I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, we'll see. So that's where. Yeah, it's um, just a different time. So, Aaron, you briefly mentioned how you work in finance. Uh, one of the main points of this podcast and this podcast series I'm going to be starting is to talk to, you know, different uh, professionals throughout the world that are also into the hobby. So we're looking to get, you know, chefs and baseball players and uh, financial analysts and doctors and whatever, whoever we can get onto this podcast to talk about their profession and then also how it connects to the hobby. So if you could just give us a little bit of background on your profession uh, in general and then any way you see that connecting to the, the I mean, you kind of talked about it just two seconds ago. Um, but uh, for people to better understand where you're coming from and your uh, why you can speak on this, I would think it would be good for them to know your background professionally. Sure. So I graduated from college in 1999, which seems like a long time ago. But, I was, um, I was five. You're five. Congratulations. Five. I'm old yeah. enough to be your dad. Almost. <laughs> um, I look younger than I really am. I am 43 years old. Um, got into banking. I'm a hist I was a history major in school. I love history. And that's probably another reason I love sports cards because I love the kind of, especially baseball, the tapestry of, you know, world series champions and the, the nuances of, 
the Yankees dynasties and, you know, the uh, kind of all the different little details that go into baseball. Um, and I love that from a historical standpoint, but uh, I moved into banking uh, right after college, kind of moved my way up into um, commercial banking. And I did, was like, I was a lender um, for businesses and commercial businesses. And uh, during the collapse of the economy, basically 10 years ago, which is another thing people seem to forget, we, we had a significant uh, collapse of everything in a different way, just 10 years ago, really, you know, 2009, 2010, it was a tough place. I was laid off twice um, during that time frame in a 13 month span. So things kind of got a little dicey there for a second, got back on my feet uh, in finance. And I've been with the same company now for about seven and a half years. Uh, it's been an awesome job. It's an awesome blessing. Um, I actually work in the electrical and construction field. I'm the controller and the credit manager for my entire company here in Florida. We've got offices in a couple states. Um, and so I do finances all day long. I do credit work all day long. Um, saying that as it relates, Nate, to my hobby, I take a very um, kind of a high level overview. Um, in particular, right now, it's just a different time. And I know you've probably got followers and listeners that are listening that are probably either have recently been unemployed um, or are being furloughed or they have people they know or their their you know income's been cut um, or they're losing money from investments like a 401k and those are all really real things that i kind of like look at and touch and feel on a daily basis and it's a real thing um, and i would encourage from my perspective which is kind of a financial perspective is this is um, understand that this is gonna pass. Um, this is just a, a big um, pause, a big um, just roadblock, I guess, a big dark moment in the world history, not just the United States. And, and we're all in this together and no, there's nothing unique necessarily that's happening to any one person. Although it feels like for some people I know that are like, I got a 19 year old daughter, she just lost her jobs this week. She's unemployed. She has no idea where her next income's coming from. That's a real thing. We're having to kind of work through it. At 19 years old, I mean- You don't want to lose your job, no. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you got a car payment. You're like, I was just, things were just looking up and now there aren't any jobs. So be, be realistic, but understand we're gonna go through this. Um, in my opinion, um, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were saying as far as money. You know, it's a buyer's market, but you know, I would say save money as much as you can. Um, be wise with your money, be positive, be generous. Those are all times like this that, that you know, as it relates to money and as it relates to the commerce and in and, and, and our communities, um, just be generous as much as you can. And if you're in this hobby, I've seen it. I've seen a lot of great people that give back. Um, use, use whatever resources you've been given to kind of give back. And if there's an opportunity within, you know, this thing that we call, you know, the collecting and, and our hobby, um, I'd encourage you to do it. Um, but that's my background. It's in, it's in finance. Um, if I were to make a quick little prediction, um, there's really three warring factors as far as I'm concerned that are really stifling, um, the card market, but really everything else too. It's, it's number one, the most blatant one is there's no sports right now. Yep. And our card market is performance driven. You know, when a player does really well, a team does really well they become popular and people want their cards. The prices go up. 
That's an important thing. There's no sports, that's not happening. Uh, number two, of course, is this pandemic, which is a real thing. And it's, a, it's affected every town and every state and everywhere in the world. And now people are having to stay home and people are having to completely just turn their lives upside down. And number three is the economy. Um, you know, things are constricting. Unemployment is going, going to go up. Um, it is going up. Uh, last time I saw it was at what 4.4 million new cases yeah 6.6 I believe here um, filed this past week yeah and um, if you follow any of the large um, you know you can you can go to conservative estimates all the way over to the most um, I guess liberal if you may estimates and um, some estimates are saying 15% unemployment which sounds just really awful I mean awful Um, the worst part is is that people there's so many people out there that want to work you know there's a lot of people that take advantage of the system and just get their unemployment and never want to work a day in their life uh most of these people that are employed would rather be working than sitting at home doing nothing yeah and i you know i you know if you're on any type of social media and things like that you hear kind of people going hey i got a fire sale i'm selling all these cards and good prices and and you kind of got to navigate through some of the you know, the intentions of these people. And you see others that go, hey, you know what? My wife lost her job. I'm trying to make ends meet. Um, I'm going to be selling some cards. And, and if you just kind of like dig into that a little bit, you can get a good flavor. You can go, okay, this guy is a, you know, a, a Frank Thomas collector. He is now putting up for auction this, you know, whatever Frank Thomas card that he's had that's graded. And, you know, you can tell it's a, it's important to him. So if you have the means to, um help out that situation um, somehow, um, whether it be to promote these these people that are going through this, whether it's to somehow contribute towards that you know, financially, whatever, just um, be, in my opinion, you should do a, a much better job of, of just being daily cognizant of people's needs. Um, yeah. um, anyway, so that's that. Uh, and I'd say this, I would say this on a positive note, because I definitely don't want to be a downer, but um, there are a lot of reports, a lot of big ones. I just read some stuff from Goldman Sachs the other day that says um, in this third quarter here, where they estimate um, just based on these trends that we're going to have a complete, complete giant bounce back in our economy. Unemployment's going to drop down. The job market's going to be reopened. Um, you know, things aren't going to be back to normal anytime soon, necessarily. Um, but there will be some normalcy that that's going to come spring forward um, in this all. And it's, we just got to get through this time, get behind this or in front of beyond this panic or this pandemic. And um, yeah. And just, uh, just realize it's not going to be forever. Yeah. And the, the one, the one blessing we, we, we can count on is that there is something nice about everyone being in it together. Right. If it was just a couple of us, they'd feel like everything was against us. But I'm pretty sure we're going to have a bounce back once everyone's back to work. There's going to be some people, inevitably, that end up not having jobs either because the places couldn't open back up because they got no money for three months, you know, restaurants, bars, whatever. Um, Or there's going to be people that lose their jobs because places realize that they didn't need them in the first place and they kept doing business, you know, scouts in Major League Baseball. How many scouts are going to lose their jobs because uh, MLB front offices took this time to reorganize their front office structure and just, right. cut, you know, how many, you know, however many scouts are going to get cut. I'm sure there's going to be guys that are furloughed and just never brought back. Right. 
Um, so that's the unfortunate one unfortunate side, but uh, you know, everyone's going through it together. It's like uh, dad's a teacher, uh, got a number of friends who are teachers and you know, they're all complaining about having to put online classes online. I'm like, I was like, you know what? None of you know what to do, but you're all in it together. So that's right. it's all good. It doesn't need to be perfect. Nobody's expecting perfection at this point. Absolutely. And you mentioned the scout thing. It's really interesting. I mentioned bottlenecking a second ago, and that's another thing that um, is going to be a really interesting phenomenon to watch. And that is, um, we're basically missing a year. You know, it's only it seems like it's been longer, but it's we're gonna there's gonna be a vacuum of, you know, players that didn't get a chance to graduate from college, yep. uh, the minor leagues that are gonna miss a year. So normally at this time we've got the drafts going on. You know, the April draft for the NFL, and all of a sudden now there's gonna be this wave of this you know the the seniors and the you know and the uh the newcomers you know it's for instance the major leagues i mean how does that all look i don't even know you know with it just it's a it's a stew of just you know yeah. the, the nba draft is is tiny but now what are we you know we're you're almost taking two years worth of draftees into yep. potentially one and the nba is not that big i mean like each team only has you know whatever 15 players and plus the European players and stuff. So it's very, um, it's going to be really fascinating to watch kind of how this all kind of like flushes. Yeah. Flushes on the, on the MLB side, you know, number one, we might have a five to 10 round draft, yeah. right? That's unfortunate. Uh, number two, that means there's, you know, there's, there's going to be 30 rounds of kids that are not getting drafted. Some of those are going to be college seniors. They'll probably just sign non-drafted free agent deals anyways. College juniors are not probably going to go the route of uh, of uh, undrafted free agent because they are capping it at twenty thousand dollars, and most college juniors could just go back for their senior year, get yeah. their get their degree, and then also get more money in the next draft. What will be interesting from a bottleneck standpoint is all of those high schoolers that would have signed between rounds eleven and forty for a um, hundred thousand dollars or more if there's room in the budget. And now those kids are all going to be going to college. They're not going to play a ton their first year because there's going to be way more college seniors than expected. Right. Um, but then, you know, year two, year three, uh, well, specifically year three, when all of these high schoolers that should have already been in the minors are now draft eligible, uh, about three years down the line, we're going to see probably the most ridiculous MLB draft you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah, because that's crazy. There's, there's going to be probably like, you know, 60 first round talents type of thing instead of 30. Because maybe, of maybe that'll add, maybe that'll add a little bit more of an even playing field or a parity in the, amongst the ranks, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what that's going to look like. It's a, it's definitely a kind of a butterfly effect in those regards. Like, you know, we're missing, we got to play catch up, but it's not just going to affect this year. It's going to push everything forward that. Yeah. And who knows? Who knows when it gets back to normal? I mean, every every year after this, you're just gonna you're gonna have you know freshmen that should be playing not playing, and uh, high school seniors this year that didn't get a chance to showcase their talents uh, for their senior year. No March Madness, you know, like stars yeah. are born and 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 people you never heard of, you know, that are like, wow, that guy just like tore up whatever, you know, the how many the times playoffs or whatever. How many times every single year do you get a kid in the in March Madness that puts his team on his back for a run to the Elite Eight, yeah. and all of a sudden he goes from obscure second rounder to back end first rounder, and that's life changing money. 
life-changing four years guaranteed or two years guaranteed plus option years and uh it's huge money being missed because of no chance of getting uh march madness in there and stuff so a very weird obviously everyone who's listening to this understands it's a very weird situation um for everyone involved uh moving on a little bit to some baseball because you are a baseball guy um despite the Cardinals hat you're wearing right now. And I am a baseball guy myself. Uh, everyone who's listening to this knows that. Um, now, you are a Cardinals fan. You brought it up. Yes. Started in the 80s. Uh, it's unfortunate. <laughs> you know, um, too many too many World Series uh, for my taste as a Brewers fan from uh, the Cardinals fan. World, is there such a thing as too many World Series? That sounds like a, uh, a Cubs uh a Cubs apologist or something. There, there's, about. There, there's a <laughs> there's a thing is too few, and that mm-hmm. would be the Brewers at zero. Um, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure, uh, like taking the Bucks. If the Bucks don't win the if the NBA doesn't come back this year and the Bucks don't win the championship, I'm pretty sure as a fan of Milwaukee sports, I may never see a championship in my life. Uh, you know the Bucks were. Let me just take a step back. We'll talk about baseball in a second. Let me tell you about the Bucks here. So I live in Pensacola, Florida, which is about uh, an hour and 45 minutes away from Biloxi, uh, Mississippi. If you know anything about Biloxi, Biloxi is the closest place where there's casinos. Oh, okay. They, here about two years ago, um, they federally lifted sports betting. So sports betting is, is basically is, um, legal in all 50 states. Well, of course, now Biloxi has sports rooms or uh, sports books and I was there about um, I guess uh, beginning of the season and I saw the bucks there and I said and I can get the ticket in the other room I've got it and I think I got the bucks just a straight ticket like 60 to 1 to win the championship and I just got it I think I got like it was ten dollars or something like that I don't remember a little small amount and as the season was going on I'm like these bucks are pretty dang good like they're really good Giannis is really good and then you know that's a good team and of course they were making a run for the the best record of all time and I kept on looking at that ticket and now which would pay out whatever six hundred dollars or whatever five hundred dollars and now of course I'm holding this ticket wondering I would really like the season to end so I can just at least have the satisfaction of knowing whether or not I would have won some money with the bucks so Hmm. um, I do uh I do like the bucks a lot I thought they were team and it's it's disappointing i'm sure as a native that you're yeah it's they're good they're they're going to be probably okay for a couple years to come at least i I would guess well well the problem was it was kind of like if we win this championship then Giannis is definitely taking the five-year supermax if we don't win this championship then he's probably going to reconsider well if there isn't a championship what does he do what do you do you don't know so That stinks, uh, especially for a guy that was on pace to have one of the most efficient seasons of all time, getting it cut short. And, you know, and other players, you know, LeBron having a great season as his age 35 season, getting that cut short. I could go on, you know, Mike Trout. Yeah. Mike Trout is uh, currently, you know, he needs every year of his prime for wins above replacement to be able to catch Barry Bonds and Babe right. Ruth. Uh, you take away his age 28 season, you're probably taking away 10 wins above replacement as long as he doesn't get injured. Sure. Um, I was thinking about this. I was talking about it with my buddy the other day, and I was like, essentially, if you take it away as age 28 season, 
how many seasons do you need to tack on in his 40s to uh, recover that amount? Four? If he gets two and a half a year from the age of 41 to 44, or 41, 42, 43, yeah, you know, uh, you would need four more seasons if he was getting two and a half a year because he missed his age 28 season. And so it's, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things that kind of, it's just, it stinks across the board losing, missing these seasons. Missing the season, it just adds a, just a vacuum in there. I agree. And um, I, I, I've had a flat, this wave of thinking about Barry Sanders in his prime. I don't know how old you're, you weren't even born yet, maybe. No, no, Barry, he was, he was around. I was, was nine uh, years into his career. I mean, and the best running back, arguably, in the NFL at the time, for sure. And, and then he retired. And he just retired, like cold turkey. And you wonder, like, some of these superstars, you know, if they're going to use this time to, like, reflect and go, you know what, maybe this is a sign that yeah, maybe I won't come back. So there's another thing that we have to kind of, like, wonder, hey, you know, who's, who's coming back after all this? Yeah, I mean, they already have plenty. Or who spent the whole time at home with their family and, like, you know, I kind of like the family life and I kind of like my – and maybe I'm done. So. They got plenty of money, you know. Yeah. They they invested wisely. They will be okay. Uh, I mean, you watch guys. Chris Borland walked away from the NFL at the age of 24. Yeah. Patrick Willis walked away at 29. You know, most, it's not generally baseball guys, basketball guys that are walking away. Mm. But how many? If we don't have a football season next year, how many football players Absolutely. walk away? Are we ever going to see Tom Brady actually throw a pass in the Bucks uniform? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. He just, I mean, he signed. We're, we're, are we going to have an NFL season? Probably. And yeah, I mean, I guess nothing's guaranteed really at the end of the day. So, but yes, I am a Cardinals fan. I've been a Cardinals fan for 33 years, 34 years now. And um, um, yeah, I, I love the St. Louis Cardinals organization of baseball. Ooh. So speaking of baseball, um, obviously you were in, the the baseball card game back in 87 you were in it all the way through 99 uh early 2000s and then you got out um now you're back in 2015 2016 you got back in uh is there any correlation between what happened back then and what happened now now obviously a lot of people are like oh we're in the midst of a, a second you know um, booming cards and they're making they're mass producing them and it's not going to be worth anything uh, as far as I know you know there weren't grading companies weren't there or weren't popular back in the day I know they were there in the early 2000s but I don't think they were very popular um, and also you know you've got various numbered cards you've got your father's day blues out of 50 uh, and independence days that weren't weren't a thing in like 87 um, so that should help out a little bit. You know, at least you're getting the scarce cards. But for, like, the Ronald Acuna Tops Update rookie PSA 10s, there's, like, 14,000 of those. That are, that are great. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe 11,000 are PSA 10s and, like, 3,000 are PSA 9s. And there's still thousands upon thousands upon thousands that haven't been opened. And there's thousands upon thousands that are uh, are not graded. Um, so what is your take as somebody who's been through all these eras about not the, not the parallels, because I think the parallels are always going to stay strong. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the Ronald Acuna's and the Juan Soto's and the Gleyber Torres is Fernando Tatis market. Gotcha. So the, as long as we have um, a store as long as we have good stories and good characters in our sports i think the collectability and the the uh 
the demand is going to be there. Um, Ronald Acuna, as much as I don't really love some of his antics, I, I recognize he is very good for the game. Yep. He's great. When he, when he hits a home run, he, he makes people celebrate. He makes people look into his sports cards. Um, we need more Ronald Acuna's. We need more Juan Soto's. We need more Mike Trout's even. Mike Trout's a little bit more like I call him like a bread and butter player. I mean, he just yeah. goes out there and performs. Really good. Does what he and does. The Angels, yeah, the Angels are relatively just a bad team year after year, but he is just a good player, and he doesn't he doesn't really transcend the popularity market as much. Like anybody outside of really baseball doesn't. He's not a household name. He's not Michael Jordan. Isn't that crazy? Best player of his generation. Crazy. He's the most collectible. He's arguably the most collectible sports active sports figure right now maybe with lebron I, I don't know who else you'd put in that little but he's he's right there one and yeah, two or him him lebron and brady that's about it brady yeah exactly so so as long as uh, there there are stories as long as there are players as long as there are teams that have interesting things happen even i would argue like the astros who are a bunch of cheaters and i hate it they add it they add there's no such thing as bad publicity you know they're going to add people to look at like this whole gary v thing i don't want to even get into this but like Gary V is in my opinion he is he's just another element of publicity for the things that we love and it's a corridor for people to enter into our market so as it relates to what you're saying yeah there's probably an overproduction of cards um, in particular when it comes to like base cards and things like that but um, eventually supply and demand I'm an advocate of, of the free market it's gonna take it's gonna take care of itself it's not gonna collapse upon itself we aren't going to go into this junk wax era where we're, where people have stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of wrong Acunas. Yeah. yeah, the the update Acuna is way overgraded, and it was probably not way. It was getting sold for way more than it. Yeah, really up to like two seventy five a card. You no, know? yeah, know. it's a maybe a hundred and seventy or hundred eighty dollar card, or whatever. Yeah. And in ten years, it could be a five hundred dollar card, like you were saying earlier in this podcast. So those are gonna those things are gonna correct themselves. Um, I know this. I know that um, competition is also good. I wish that um, I wish that Panini and or Donruss, whichever one you looked at, would be able to license cards. Not just because they look better, but it would I think add, it would push both companies to put out better products that are more appealing. Vice versa, if um, Tops could make football cards, license football cards. Um, I think that would only be a good thing. I think having just one manufacturer, um, you know, one stable brand, it's, it's not ideal. Um, it doesn't uh, give consumers. Especially now with Panini's, uh, Dutch auctions, they're running for everything, you know, yeah. Dutch auction for national treasures first off the line. Last year, my brother went on and was lucky enough to be one of like the 700 people that got one. Bought it for seven hundred fifty bucks and sold it for twenty five hundred. Wow! And then bought his wife a Mac so she could do photography while she's taking care of um, their children. So uh, you know, it's one of those things where like that was a way getting that box was a way for them to uh, further elevate their financial status, I guess. Sure. And uh, all of a sudden, Panini took that completely away because nobody can control them because they're their own company and they're just looking for top dollar on everything, right. make it into a Dutch auction, and then they're automatically getting top dollar right away. Right. And, and there, are deep, there are there are deep, um, obviously there are some very, very 
I don't know if we mentioned this in the podcast, there are some big, big whales in our industry that um, we say people aren't, aren't uh, selling cars. There are some big sales going on right now. Um, if you've, there may, the volume may not be there. Um, you know, you deal with like a Luka Don, Doncic and some others. There's still some pretty big sales going on. I mean, there's, there's a, there's every day you go online. Uh, Cause you know, Aaron, not this Aaron, but Aaron from slab stocks. Uh, every time me and him go online to do our eBay links every day, our eBay auction email, um, I'll see a $30,000. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes every single week. Patrick Mahomes is another good name. Um, not to throw, not to keep on going back and forth the topics, but um, there's another really good name of um, probably the next uh, the next cornerstone of our market. Um, if he's not there already, um, yeah. he's certainly probably the face of football trading industry right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you were to build a, a house with the four major sports or whatever, he would probably be the football one. I'd say even above and beyond Tom Brady at the moment, but. Um, but yeah, and then the grading industry, you know, you mentioned that it's been around for about two decades now. Um, I think it, it provides a long-term and lasting kind of constant. Um, you've got so many products just coming out of both ears and really innovation is kind of, in my opinion, kind of hit a standstill. There's only so many things you can do, um, you know, with the trading card. Yeah. It's a piece of cardboard. What can you do? It's a cardboard. I mean, relics, I think people are kind of sort of way beyond that. Um, now you're putting, you know, dirt or, you know, whatever. I just, I think there somehow has to be a creativity and that kind of goes back to the quality, the selection. Um, you know, we got to figure out as consumers and then, you know, on the back end of the people that create those, how we can make those more interactive. And it may be, I'm not a big digital uh, person. Um, I don't like to do like, um, certainly don't like to do digital cards i like physical in my hands yeah, never understood items but uh you know maybe the interaction um there's some way to to do a better job of interacting the game especially baseball baseball is um i am not an advocate that says baseball's dying but um basketball and especially football right now are are, are definitely ahead in the the consumption yeah um, so well, if the, we can kind of the capturing uh, capturing young people's uh attention spans yeah, yeah, the young, the young attention span, but uh, I do love baseball. But there's so many people that are just, I'll talk to them, they're like, yeah, I enjoy playing baseball, but I just can't watch it. It's too boring. Yeah, it's totally. And, and, the, and the, the, the market trends are showing that too, you know, and I don't know exactly how to fix that. I mean, the inner cities um, don't have any baseball fields anymore. You go to New York City, which back in the 50s and 60s, that was, I mean, there was a baseball field on every corner and that is gone. Um, mm -hmm. And so, um, and there's, it's, it's gone to other places positively. I mean, like the Dominican Republic, it's the biggest thing in the world. And that, that's their dream over there is to, you know, to make it to the big leagues, you know? And so anyways, so I don't know the answers to all this. All I do know, Nate, is that um, I've been again, 30 years in this, I've seen the highs, I've seen the lows, I've seen the nuances, I've seen the 89 upper deck hit. I've seen it go away. You know, I've seen the wave of, you know, the graded card markets i've seen this mike trout you know complete um just skyrocket um you know value in the marketplace in the last you know in particular five six years somewhere in there um and we'll survive you know we survived 9 11 we survived the crash 10 years ago i'd even go back beyond that and I, we haven't really talked about vintage but you know vintage's cards have always been kind of like at the end of the day it's like Old, old faithful, old reliable. I mean, who doesn't love 1950s Mickey Mantle cards? Yeah. And, yeah. Or a 54 uh, Hank Aaron. 
ride in all those players, Bob Gibson, you know, Sandy Koufax, even going back before the Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, those from two reasons, they're number one, they're highly collectible. And they're never going to really lose their value. You know, if you buy a 54 Aaron, you know, at whatever level, graded or not, hey, it's a special feeling to have a card of that that's 70 years old in your hand that you can go, man, and tell so many stories of a great player and where has this card been? Um, it's never going to be monetarily less than you got it unless you don't take care of it. Um, it may not, you may not make a thousand percent profit on it in two years. Yeah. You know, it's always going to be a old, and even right now, that's another thing that people, if they're looking for something to kind of like ask their lot in or interest in, go look at the vintage market. It's great. Um, you know, I, I've got my eye on a few mantles. I saw a 65 mantle PSA seven, I think the other day. And it's, and it's in my price range. And I'm like, I could stare at that card for hours. And that's me because I love the game and love the history. But um, so I know this, that that the vintage market's been around for 50, 60, 70 or more years. And that's going to remain yeah. long after, you know, all these economic issues, you know, cultural changes, the evolution of our interest in sports. And so and you kind of got to just take your time and breathe it all in and, and research it and and try to learn all about that you can about it. And what we're doing right now is, you know, there's so much, um, a lot of people are like, Hey, put your money in vintage. Cause it's safe. It will keep going up for the most part. It might not go up a ton, but it'll keep going up. And then there's so many like prospects, you know, your blaze Alexander's or your, uh, uh, Wander Franco, whoever. Wander Franco's, you know, anybody like that. It's such a big risk. So I think right now is um, it's fine taking that risk, right? But I would I would also agree that you know get some get some of the prospect risk, get some of the you know surefire uh, uh, historical Hank Aaron's, Mickey Mantle's, Babe Ruth, whatever. Uh, but then also try to identify the guys that are going to be that type of player in 40 years you know mike trout is obviously that type of player 1600 dollars right now if you have 1600 dollars that you can just tuck away put into a mike trout in 40 years that mike trout card is going to be the same uh as the way somebody views you know a 54 hank aaron um i, I agree or because mike trout is mike trout right yeah, and recognize too you know ask yourself this as you're looking at you know the stars of the sport what else do they have to do in order to be considered a great? Um, is it statistically on their own or is it their team has to win a championship, et cetera? Um, you look at Mike Trout, I would argue that he really doesn't have to do anything else statistically. Like if he were to stop today, yeah, he's, he's a lock. You know, he's, he's, his, his collectability is not going to really go down. It may flatten at this point and not go up as fast. But he's like in 30 years, yeah, he is that Mickey Mantle or whatever. Um, you can get a little bit more kind of intermediary with with you know your risk tolerance and go like, okay, Patrick Mahomes. Um, he had a little bit of a health scare with an injury last year to his knee, but I mean the Chiefs, look what they did this past year, and look what he did, and when he rebounded, I mean he is as good as they are. But even him, he's probably going to accomplish a little more to be in that elite Tom Brady category. Yep, long term. Mm -hmm if he twists his ankle or God forbid, you know, can it play retires at 29, like Andrew Luck, you know? Yeah. Andrew Luck's a great, I mean, Andrew Luck was 
arguably the, the most gifted quarterback ever coming out of college. I mean, just, he was, he was it. I mean, he was the whole package. Yep. And now he's, he's really just a fan favorite and he never really did anything like he did. He was obviously a good quarterback and then star quarterback, yeah. but you no, know, the problem was he was injured when he wasn't injured. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. So you got to kind of like cast and then you get in the low end, like you're saying the water frame. And if you have some disposable income, if you're looking to make money in this hobby, and those are your, those are your wait and sees and those are your grabs and goes and, and yeah. yeah, pick up some, some prospects, go down your major league prospect list, read about the players, you know, and, and recognize baseball is going to probably, probably get played this year. Maybe, you know, abbreviated. We Gordon, may play a hundred games. Yeah. We may play hundred games. We may play 60 games, whatever. We'll probably play a world series in the fall. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a big Juan Soto. If you ask me, like, one baseball player I'm trying to collect right now is Juan Soto. I, I think he has got I would agree all, with you there. all of the markings of being the next Mark Trout. Um, I just think he's he could easily bang out 55 home runs, 140 RBIs, maybe win a triple crown, and the Nationals make it back in the World Series perennially. Maybe, maybe not, depending on the players they've got. Um, I think he is a good enigmatic um, personality to the game i think he's great for the game and oh by the way he's only 20 years old yeah so which um, you would never have known unless you watched the uh world series broadcast last year when they brought it up uh yeah how many times did they bring it up if it was a joe buck that said it every sentence 20 year old uh, Juan, uh yeah. Juan if soto. i was given a juan soto tops update uh card for every time joe buck brought it up i think i would own every single juan soto update card in the world that would be a terrible drinking game if, if, if I don't know if I can say that on this uh, podcast, no, but you would have, you would be, uh, you'd be in some serious trouble if that was a Juan Soto drinking game. Well, you, 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 so, you wouldn't have made it past the first inning. You'd be past. Probably not. Maybe the second, if you got anyways. Yeah. So um, enjoy, in my opinion, just enjoy the time we're in, even in the strangeness of it all. You know, I'm just trying to reach out. I'm trying to, I'll tell you one thing that it's caused me to do, and that is um, take more time. Like you get in such a, like if two months ago, things were barreling so fast. I mean, you were pulling up like, I mean, you just, it was like hand over fist to get like deals and you're on eBay every five minutes and you were selling cards on Instagram and trading and, that, and all that stuff is kind of going on still, but um, it was happening at such a pace. You didn't slow down and go in particular as it, you know, I look at myself 33 years ago as a, um, as a 10 year old or as a nine year old, I remember what it was like to hold a little stack of 1987 Topps football cards. And that was, that was such an organic experience for me. And there are newcomers, in particular kids to this hobby, that they don't, they're not concerned about making $10,000 on a, on a Bowman. They want to they just be a part of something. And this yep. is a good opportunity now, which a lot of their parents, you know, I say live generously just kind of keep your eyes open for opportunities like that to invest in others and, and listen to people. And you may think I've had people tell me stuff that in the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's an idiot. But you know, I, I don't, I would say that I said, you know, I try to like stop myself and go, you know, let me listen to what you're saying. This is important to you. You know, these cards are, are, are stuff you've collected. I mean, they may be just commons or, you know, a certain like the Kansas city Royals or some team that I have like, you know, no interest in. And they, they want, they want help and advice and they want to talk about players and they want to talk about what do you think cards are worth? And I hope we never get beyond that um, where we just don't have time for other people in this hobby. And 
I think of building up a community, if there's ever been a time, it's really just right now. We've got the time to do it. We're all at home. Plenty of time. You know what I mean? Like we all have sports going on. Some of us don't have money. You know, it's just, there's so many different, you know, I guess paths we can go down in this, that um, it's a good time to build up this hobby and, 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 and be ready for the next wave because it's coming and, and we'll get out beyond this. And it'll be another interesting time collecting sports cards. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Well, Aaron, uh, to end the podcast on a little bit of a, uh, of a uh, joking note here, we've talked about a decent number of, uh, I don't want to say heavy topics, but you know, real life, real life consequence uh, topics here. Um, do you know what OPS plus is? Um, I do, but I don't know how to calculate it. Okay. I don't know how to calculate like war plus and some other stuff either. Uh, so OPS plus for those of you that don't know, is just on base percentage uh, and it's uh, on, base, on base plus slugging percentage. Um, but right. then it is uh, uh, what words am I looking for? So it's averaged out. So a hundred is league average. If you have a hundred okay. OPS plus you are a league average hitter. If you are one one you're 1% better. If you're 99, you're 1% right. worse. You know, Mike Trout is running in the 170, 180, 190s every year. Bryce Harper, oh. that one extremely good year was running like a 202. So he was 102% better than league average hitter. Okay. Um, I've got a couple numbers for you here. Just okay. uh, I know where this is going, but go hear, ahead. Hear me out. I think, I think. 78, 70, 53, 85, 96. Ooh, we almost got to average. 100, average. Go ahead. 84, 124, 137, 129. So 124, 137, 139, that's really good. 24%, 37%, 29% better than league average. 102, 80. 111, 96, 103, 85. There is. All right, go ahead. I know what it's called. Three good years in there, one pretty good year, three average years, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bad years. Like you know what I'd call this? Seven you know what I'd call this? This is an argument. You know what this argument's called? Cherry picking stats? That too. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. I'm going to, I'm going to plug in my phone here before it goes dead, but go ahead. Uh, this is called does Yadi Molina belong in the hall of fame argument. Oh yes, it is. So for those of you that don't understand, uh, Aaron is a big Yadier Molina fan, big Cardinal fan, loves Yadier Molina. I, on the other end, uh, Yadier Molina is possibly my least favorite player in the history of baseball. Um, minus, you know, certain guys that do actually bad things like Addison Russell and stuff like that, like where he's like an actual terrible human being. Um, from just a, from just a playing the game perspective, I can't stand Yadier Molina. Yeah. So uh, uh, let's, let's hear your, let's hear your counter argument to my, uh, to my uh, OPS plus argument. My counter argument is my laptop is running out of uh, battery space and I don't know why my charge is not working, but as long as I have breath here on this podcast, I will say this. The reason, one of the reasons I love Yadier Molina is number one, he plays for the Cardinals, obviously. So um, it, it, he is a throwback. There aren't many throwback baseball players alive anymore that are active like he is. I'd argue Mark, Mike Trout is one. Mike Trout plays the game hard, goes out and performs, and he's a guy you want in the clutch. Just because Yadier Molina bats 262 or 276 um, in any particular year, I'm going to tell you what, he's had more 
more crucial game winning and more crucial playoff wins that aren't in the books as well as by the way he's arguably top five best defensive catcher of all time I'd even go higher than that um I will agree with you there you want to talk about guys that are gamers Yadier Molina is a gamer and he may not show up in the stat book um you know at the end of the day although he's he is a good hitter like he is a good hitter like you you mentioned OPS I've heard that I've heard uh the batting average has been low, but he's had – he is solid for his size. There's – and he's dependable. I mean, if you can get 150 games out of a catcher, I mean, him yeah. and Buster Posey in the last 10 years, really, uh, there's no there's no one else even in that conversation. I mean, Entering as as his I'm, age 37 season. Yeah. And he's, and he's got the over 100 he games every single year except for his age 21 season. Yeah, he is as dependable as – as it comes and he is as i mean he was hurt this past year he didn't want to go glove i don't know what he's up to he's probably up to what nine gold gloves i don't have the stats in front of me Ooh, um we're at one two three four five six seven eight you're right nine nine gold gloves there you go so you compare that the catcher the catcher position by the way is such a unique um comparison standpoint because really there's few that you can compare to if you talk to any baseball purist I mean, you've got your conversations on two hands, Max. I mean, you got Mike Piazza, Carlton Fisk, Pudge, Johnny Bench. I mean, arguably Johnny Bench is the greatest catcher of all time. I don't think it's close. The, bit, the best hitting catcher of all time is perhaps Mike Piazza, but he was a terrible defensive catcher. From there, it kind of gets money in that three and four and fifth and sixth spot. I think Yadier Molina deserves to be in that conversation. And when it comes to things like the Hall of Fame, here's my case, is Yadier Molina's won World Series. He has not won an MVP award, but he's perennially been the best Though he has placed player. third and fourth uh, in 2013 and 2012, respectively. He what now? He placed third in the MVP race in 2013 and fourth in 2012. So Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's been up there. And I would say this. He's the reason the Cardinals went to the World Series. Not the only reason, but one of the main reasons. And I would say this. At the end of the day, if you've ever been to Cooperstown, New York, it yep. represents – it's such a hollowed place to walk into. I've been to all the Hall of Fames, and for me, Cooperstown is is just – it stands on its own. And it's for this reason that it absolutely highlights the best that there has ever been. And in my opinion, if you can put on two hands the best player at any position, I, catchers – there aren't a lot of really great catchers all time. I mean, Yogi Berra, yeah. if you want to go way back – I mean, there's 8,000 great first basemen. I mean, how many out great outfielders are there? I mean, when you do an all-century team and you leave Ken Griffey Jr. out, I mean, that shows you that there's been a lot of people that have ran those fields out there. Um, so I sound like a total apologist. I'm not trying to be. I love Yachty. I love that people hate him. I love that he's got spit, and I love that he's got fire, and I love that he's not afraid to go at Johnny Cueto or – or whoever else in the central. I love that he hates the Cubs like I do. I and I love that he's still playing at age 37. And I think he is he is a great ball player. And yeah. That's, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Regardless of the OPS, because I knew you were gonna go go there. I, I've had this argument. I've had the Buster Posey's better than him argument. I've had, you know, it, it, it's I, I think Yadier Molina is a great player and I'm happy to be a huge fan of his. I always tell my buddies, uh, I've got a couple of roommates, and 
they're saying stats or they, they'll bring up random stats. And I said, here's the thing about stats is that you can always make them work for you. You can always find some stat that will work for your argument uh, against somebody or for somebody. Um, and that is why like a little fun with stats there, bringing up OPS, obviously OPS, you know, he's a 98 OPS plus in his career, which is only 2% worse than league average. So basically a league average hitter at a catcher that's had the longevity for uh, 15 years now going on 16 years. That's pretty impressive. Absolutely. And he's been, you know, in the, in the day and age in the spotlight and granted, he doesn't play, he doesn't play for the Yankees or the Dodgers, maybe some of these huge market teams, but the Cardinals are, they're kind of a staple team in baseball. Um, he's always carried himself in the, and I know people would argue on the field, he's been a little bit of a punk, but I'd argue maybe that he's, it's just his fire that comes out sometimes. Um, he's, he's a contributor to the community. He has got a great heart, a great fan base. We love Yachty. Um, and so you don't get, you don't get the whole package from any player really, but he hits on most of those. He checks most of those boxes in my opinion. I think he's one of, he's a once in a generation type of ball player, not talent, but type of ball player. There you That's go. My well, if you're listening to this, number one, you may have been swayed into thinking that Yadier, you know, supporting Yadier Molina. Crazy, I know. I number so. two, if you got any cards, uh, Aaron will take them for free. Just throwing it out there. I will. I will. I've been trying to work on my Yadi collection. I posted a couple little fun cards the other day. I'm, I'm missing the Super Fractor from Topps 2016 Topps Chrome and 18 Topps Chrome to complete my rainbow. So if anybody wants to donate a a super fractor to me from those two years. I would, I there would you be go. eternally grateful. Yes, thank you. We'll see if the uh, thousand or so people that listen to these podcasts will uh, will be yeah. one of them. Wouldn't that be crazy? That'd be amazing. That'd be that'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> well, Aaron, uh, uh, aka Florida Card Guy, uh, thank you for showing up on this podcast. I had a wonderful time. I hope uh, people enjoy learning a little bit more about the card hobby from, you know, your experience of the eighties, nineties, two thousands. And today, I hope people uh, understand a little bit more your background and what you think where the card hobby will go and you know, what you think they should do and this and that. Um, but I appreciate you taking some time out of your day, uh, about an hour and a half here of your day to on a Saturday to join me. And, uh, is there any last words you want to tell anybody before we uh, uh, call an end to this podcast? No, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you to Nate. Uh, thank you to you and to Aaron and Slapstocks. I know we've been friends online for a while. And I appreciate what you guys are doing and the content you provide. I just want to encourage everybody to um, uh, pursue what you enjoy in the hobby. Everybody's different. Um, look for ways to be generous. Look for, uh, you know, there's a lot of deals and a lot of opportunities right now to kind of like solidify um, kind of where you want to be in the future, where you want to kind of like position yourself. So just uh, just take your time, be intentional, and uh, build relationships. And I think we'll all be better, better for it. Sweet. I would agree with that, Aaron. So thank you for joining this podcast. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thanks. Have a good night. Take care. Thank you, everybody, for listening to that interview I did with Aaron, Florida Card Guy. Uh, I really enjoyed having him on the podcast. It's Always a pleasure to get to interview different people in the hobby and different backgrounds. So thank you for listening to that. Look forward to more interviews in the future, upcoming weeks. Um, got a number of them 
on the schedule, so we'll see if we get around to them. But look forward to that, and thank you all for listening today.